We're going to finish our study through the Ten Commandments today as we look at commandment number 10. Commandment number 10 is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And this is what it says. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. That's commandment number 10, our final commandment from God here in Exodus 20. It's the sin of covetousness. Covetousness is a very big sin. We're going to look at um, what it means. We're going to look at many different ways how someone can covet. And of course, Lord willing, we're going to look at the ways to avoid coveting. Um, as I speak about this commandment, we're here in the Christmas season. And Christmas, of course, is supposed to be about the celebration of the Lord's birth here on earth, uh, his first advent. But we all know that Christmas is also, at least here in America, um, very much about materialism, about the buying of gifts, about collecting more possessions, things like that. And so it has it on my mind anyways. I have the thought of covetousness upon my mind in this season. And so I think this is a timely one, at least for me, as I speak about this today. I want to talk about what it means to covet. And I think through, if you just look at the passage here, you can pretty much figure out what it means. It means to desire. Covet really means to desire. In fact, it means to greatly desire. Maybe even yearn for something that isn't yours. In this, in this passage, it talks about your neighbor's house. It talks about your neighbor's wife. So it could be a possession. It could be a person. It talks about servants. It talks about oxes and donkeys and anything that is your neighbor's. And really, the idea of covetousness is, is greatly yearning for, desiring something that doesn't belong to us. In fact, uh, most, most uh, specifically, it belongs to our neighbor, to someone else. And as you know about the six of the Ten Commandments, they're all dealing with how we treat our neighbor, how we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And so I want to look at the idea of covetousness. I want to look at the idea of covetousness toward our neighbor because covetousness doesn't just exist on its own. Covetousness can actually be harmful and hurtful to our neighbor. It can be the complete opposite of what we're here to do as Christians, to love our neighbor as ourself. And I want to look at that. And I think we're going to look at one of the biggest examples in Scripture of someone who, who did covet and got in a really big mess because of that. But I also want to look at a few New, New Testament examples of what it means to covet and the dangers of that and the implications of it as well. But again, I want us to leave... Um, this study on the Ten Commandments in a positive note. I want us to think about the Lord Jesus Christ, what he came to do for us. I want to think about how he lived his life. I want to think about the teachings that he gave us. And I want to think about really what the solution is to, to living a life that is free of covetousness. And I don't want to come across like I am a person who has conquered this. I live in America. Uh, even though my family is not wealthy, we, we are surrounded by possessions. And covetousness is always around the corner. It's always ready to take us down. And we need to be cautious and careful about that. But I think many of us know what the sin of covetousness is. I think we could define it. The problem with covetousness today is not many people talk about it. It's not really one of the most talked about sins. And I don't think it's surprising why it is. I think with the sin of covetousness, just like the sin of sexual immorality, so many people are afflicted by it that it's it's so hard to bring up because a lot of us are fighting it. A lot of us are struggling with it. A lot of us are even falling into it. And it's not something we really want to bring up because it's not something a lot of us are getting victory over. 
But I want to talk about that because I, I do believe there's victory that we can have over this sin. And it's, it's really broad. Covetousness, again, can be, it can be actually specifically coveting something that is your neighbor's and being jealous about that. It can actually just be a strong, out-of-control desire for anything that we don't own, that we don't, that is, that doesn't belong to us. And that's really what covetousness is. It's, at its core, not being content with what God has given us. The sin of covetousness stems from the lack of contentment. As I mentioned before, we want to look at one of the biggest examples, and uh, it's not going to surprise you who this is. It's King David. King David was one of the people in scriptures that struggled with covetousness, at least in a season, um, more than anybody that I can think of. And although that's not his legacy, that's not how he left the earth, it, it was a season of his life, and it is recorded for us, and it's recorded for us, I believe, as a warning uh, to, to not let that happen to us. And just as a uh, as a flyover, we, we know the story of King David, but King David, um, in this one instance, um, should have been at war with his people, with his men. His men are off to war. He's, he's lingering back. He's hanging back. He's got time on his hands, and he wanders up to the roof. And he sees a woman bathing across, you know, another building. And obviously she's, she's not, you know, she's not clothed. And he notices this. He notices not only that she's not bathing, but he lingers and he looks and he notices that she's attractive and he covets her and he wishes that she belonged to him. Well, that would have been bad enough if that's where David left it. If that's where King David left it, that still would have been a really bad sin that David would have had to confess and repent of. But that's not where it ended. And that's why the sin of covetousness is so dangerous because it's a snowball effect that once the sin of covetousness starts, it's really hard to stop it. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it rolls down the hill. And we know what happened with King David. Not only did he covet his neighbor's wife, but he went and, and stole her, essentially. Um, he got her to sleep with him and then he knew that was going to uh, cause a lot of problems. And it did cause a huge problem because she got pregnant as a result of that. And now David had this enormous tell of his sin that he had to somehow cover up. And this woman was actually married. She actually belonged to another man. So this is where the snowball began. Now, now David has to cover up his sin of covetousness and sexual immorality and lust and things like that. And he does something just incredibly horrible. He has the husband of this wife put at the front lines of the battle so that he knows he'll be killed. And he is killed. So really, it's just indirect murder. He just had this man murdered so this man would no longer be in the way. And then he takes this woman, Bathsheba, and just makes him, uh, makes her his wife. And that's kind of how he covers the sin. So all of a sudden, she's pregnant. Um, but people assume that it's because of King David, because she's now married to King David and as far as David knew, he had, he had covered the sin up nice and tidy. He coveted her, he took the wife, he murdered the husband, and then he covered everything up so nobody else would ever know about it. And I don't know if you've ever seen like a crime detective show. I'm thinking of the show Columbo just because that's a show that I like. Um, often in the, in the show Columbo, the person who's committing the crime is committing the crime with willful knowledge of what they're doing. And while they're doing it, they're trying to cover their tracks so that the sin won't be known about, so that the crime won't be known about. And that's exactly what King David does. The only problem is it doesn't work. Um, well, actually, that may have been merciful for King David, but he doesn't get away with it. 
and it's found out and his, his good friend Nathan has to come to him and tell him, um, sort of in a very brave fashion that, uh, King David, you messed up and you're causing a lot of people, a lot of harm. And, uh, King David repents and is crushed by the fact that he did such a thing. But if King David could do that, who was a man after God's own heart, then we know the sin is, is lying in wait for each of us, the sin of covetousness. And I really want to think about this in terms of American Christians, because American Christians aren't persecuted like a lot of other Christians are around the world, where it's really hard to be a Christian. But one of the things we, we are encountered with more often than anyone um, is the sin of covetousness. Covetousness is it's always lying in wait because in, we live in a country where we are just taught that more and better and success and wealthy are the ways to go. And it's hard not to be tempted by those things. It says in 1 Timothy, I'm just going to read a little portion here. It says, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. That's just a great perspective. We came in with nothing. We'll leave with nothing, regardless of what you had upon the earth. You're going out the same way you came in. Verse 80 says, but we have, if we have food and clothing with these things, we should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's talking about money there. It's talking about the love of money. But covetousness is, is intertwined in that sin, of course. And it's a really dangerous sin. And I, I find it interesting that it's the 10th commandment that you shall not covet. And yet it's it may be a, the most encompassing of all the ones given to us about our, how we should treat our neighbor, because I think it's it's really the root of so many different sins. And if you'll if you'll help me here, uh, if you'll bear with me and, and and work with me here, I want to understand. I want you to understand that maybe what King David here was breaking several commandments simply because he coveted, because the tenth commandment says you shall not covet. But because he did covet, he also committed adultery, uh, which is a commandment of the Lord. He also committed murder, which is a commandment of the Lord. He also stole in a fashion, um, which is a commandment of the Lord. So all of these sins were committed simply because David coveted something that didn't belong to him, someone that didn't belong to him. And so many sins were birthed because of it. And, and just such a, such a a dangerous sin, such such a deadly sin that we shouldn't play around with it. Uh, in, in the New Testament, Paul speaks to the Colossian church uh, in Colossians chapter 3 about the sin of covetousness. And he's talking to the Colossians, which is actually a really good church. And yet he still warns them about covetousness. In verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Listen to this, which is idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry. And do you see what happened there? Not only did does covetousness breed other sins, but at its core, it's really the breaking of the first two commandments, which is have no other gods before me and don't make anything with your hands and worship it. Covetousness at its core includes those. So when we covet, when we, when we covet things that don't belong to us, we're breaking immediately two different commandments, three different commandments, uh, 
and then it births many other sins. Many other sins can be uh, committed. Many other commandments can be broken because we covet. And so I want us to think about this. I don't want to, as I've said before, I'm not here to poo-poo on Christmas. I'm not here to make you feel all bad and guilty about buying things or, or even to a certain extent, desiring things yourself. But I want us to be very careful about covetousness because God calls it idolatry. And if we keep reading here in Colossians, this is a really serious thing. He says in verse six, on account of these, the sins he just mentioned, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. On account of these sins, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Because covetousness is the opposite of everything Christ has called us to live for. So if we're living in covetousness, if we're practicing covetousness, we cannot be practicing the things that Christ taught us to. We cannot be obeying the commands of God. We cannot be loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and we can't be loving our neighbor as ourself, which is the theme of the Ten Commandments. If we're living in covetousness, we just can't be abiding by the commands of God. And it really is just the polar opposite direction of where we need to go. And covetousness doesn't, it doesn't start big. It starts with a small desire that isn't kept in check. And suddenly the desire gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And suddenly that desire gets out of control. It gains so much strength and momentum that we're going to get that thing no matter what. And that's exactly what David did. He didn't just desire someone else's wife. The desire became strong and uncontrollable. And all of a sudden, David is doing unthinkable things, like committing murder and, and the cover-up of that murder. And it's all because he didn't keep his desires in check. And although I think the desire of covetousness is wrong, we could fight it early. There are ways to fight it early when the sin of covetousness is coming to us as a temptation. See, David had a choice. David looked at Bathsheba. He saw that she was a beautiful woman. But right then, David had a choice. He had a choice to walk away. He had a choice to go back to his room. He had a choice to, to use his time in a better fashion, even go back to his men and say, you know what? This just proves that I shouldn't be away from my men right now. I'm going to go back to the battle. But he didn't. He lingered. And he let the desire grow and grow and grow until even David didn't even know what he was doing. And so covetousness is idolatry. And idolatry, if you remember, is the worst sin. It's serving and worshiping something and someone who isn't the one true God. And God's not going to have any rivals. And if he does have rivals, he's going to come down and do something about it. Now for David, he had a merciful way of handling it. He sent his friend Nathan to him. Nathan confronted him. David was crushed. David repented. There were some big consequences for David's sin, but David was allowed to get back up and continue following the path God had placed him on. But if covetousness isn't taken care of, it can lead to the wrath of God. That's just what Paul is telling the church. And he's telling this even to a good church. Because I think things like sexual immorality and covetousness always have to be guarded, always have to be watched over. And the devil knows that these are such lifestyle sins that if he can get us coveting, he's done everything. We'll break other commandments. We won't serve our neighbor. We won't serve the Lord. And everything will be taken down simply by a wrong desire. 
And one of those, it's, it's so interesting because the devil's so crafty. I've even heard, you know, the passage from Proverbs that says, delight yourself in the Lord and God will give us the desires of our heart. It's almost like God is telling us that those desires that we have, he wants to give them to us. But I, I don't think that's what that verse is talking about. I, th I don't think that would be a help to me and to you in the sin of covetousness if we knew that God wants to give us our desires as much or if more, more so than we want to. If you read carefully what it says in Proverbs, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart because your desires will be new. They'll be different. They'll be holy desires. They'll be desires for the Lord. And I'm thinking of passages from Colossians 3, uh, the same chapter where Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So you could tell that God's intent is to take our mind from this earth and put it on heavenly things. And that's why I don't think the passage in Proverbs works for stuff on this earth. I don't think God delights and desires to give us our earthly desires because those desires are, are poor ones. They're faulty ones. They're sinful ones. I don't think God is delighting to give us earthly desires. I think he wants us to have better desires, heavenly desires. And then when we do, he'll grant us those things because they're good and they're holy and they're perfect and they're righteous and they'll last forever. But generally when we're coveting, we're not coveting good things. The very idea of coveting is, is coveting things that don't, don't help us, don't belong to us. It's not a part of God's plan. Like Bathsheba was not a part of God's plan for David. And yet David said, I'm going to have her anyways. And that's really what we tell God when we covet is, God, I know you haven't given this to me, but you know what? I desire it. And so I'm going to have it regardless. And what we're saying to God is, God, your plan is bad. I don't trust your plan. I don't love your, the things you've given me. I want different things. And just so many different problems are happening when we covet. And yet it's everywhere. It's, it's just, you know, uh, all shopping and, and possessions and materialism aren't bad things in and of themselves. They just aren't, but they just breed covetousness. Uh, sexual morality and covetousness are basically linked. We desire someone that isn't ours in a sinful way. And we have media, we have phones, we have laptop computers, we have tablets. We have so many different ways to help these sins breed and get bigger that we have to watch ourselves. And the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, it says in 1 Timothy. We have to be careful of loving things that are of the earth. It tells us that in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, that the world and its desires pass away, but he who does the will of God abides forever. It's not wrong to have things of the world. God gives us things of this world. It's not wrong to even purchase things. What's wrong is when we desire something beyond what is right. Something that takes us from contentment and makes us discontented. It makes us wishing we had more. It makes us collectors. It makes us hoarders. It makes us not content with what God has given us. And suddenly we're chasing and going after things of this earth 
and we're forgetful of the things that really matter. And Jesus told us all the time from Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, that the treasures of this earth will fade and spoil and be stolen from us. But the treasures of heaven can never be stolen from us, can never fade, can never spoil. And what the Lord actually desires and delights is not to withhold stuff from us. It almost sounds cruel, like God is teasing us with things we can't have. Like, yes, there's attractive people. Yes, there's attractive possessions. And you just can't have them. It sounds cruel. It it sounds like, uh, why would God do that? Why would he make something so delightful and then withhold it from us? But that's not what God is doing at all. God actually wants us to give some wants to give us something of greater delight, of more permanent and eternal delight, of something that is good and doesn't bring us any harm. And the things that the devil tempts us with on this earth are things that bring us harm. They are. They're things that won't do anything good for our soul. They'll give you a little bit of desire for a little bit of time, and then they'll steal from you. And that's exactly what happened to King David. He got a little bit of desire, a little bit of delight with Bathsheba. And then after that, all it did was rob from him, stole from him, hurt from, hurt him, hurt his friends, hurt his family for momentary pleasure. And that's exactly what God knows about the things of this earth. They're not here to do us any good. They're here to destroy us. And so God says, I want better things for you. And I need to train your mind to be content with what you've given yourself, with, with excuse me, with what God has given you. There's another example in Luke 12 of someone who was covetousness, excuse me, coveting. And the Lord uses a parable to teach us something about this. I'm just going to read the parable. It's in Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide, to divide the inheritance with me. Basically covetousness. Tell my brother to give me my money. Okay. The Lord says in verse 14, he said to them, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared for yourself, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So the Lord warns us in a parable of the sin of covetousness. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Why? Because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What should it consist of? Christ. Christ. Following Christ. Obeying Christ. Finding all your treasures and your joy in Christ because Christ is good and he's eternal and he's He's exactly what God has designed for us. And Earthly possessions aren't. They just aren't. They have some value. They can be useful things on the earth. We have possessions that help us. God has blessed us with many things. But it doesn't It doesn't take care of the problem. It doesn't satisfy us. And I, I think you would know this. The more you chase possessions, 
the more discontented you are with those possessions. It's just an endless cycle. And maybe you've found that out. Maybe you've had to have the brand new phone of the year and, and you thought, as soon as I get this phone, I'll be happy. And then a few months go by and your phone isn't the newest one any longer. And there's there's one that's faster and has a better camera. And, and you think to yourself, well, I, I got to have that. And it's just an endless cycle. Things on this earth are not supposed to satisfy. They're not supposed to last forever. And if we fall into covetousness, we can do so much harm to ourselves. But if you remember the, the sin in Exodus 20 isn't really sin on its own. It's sin against your neighbor. And this is what I want to bring up with the remaining moments that we have. When we covet, we're actually hurting our neighbor. Because again, generally we're coveting something that belongs to someone else. We see something that someone else has that's attractive to our eye and we think, you know what, I wish I had that. I wish that person didn't have that wife so I could have that wife. I wish that person didn't have that possession so I could have that possession. Well, that's hurtful for, to your neighbor because, you know, God has allowed them to have that thing. And for you to say, you know what, I wish I had it and he didn't, you're actually hurting his plan, God's plan for that person. But you know what else? It goes even deeper than that. Covetousness actually takes your mind off of loving your neighbor and it puts your mind and your eyes upon loving yourself. And it's really the complete opposite of God's second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So really what you should want is you should want the betterment and the blessing of your neighbor. And when you covet, you're doing the exact opposite. You're doing the blessing and the benefit of yourself. And you may not think that's very hurtful. Like, well, okay, even, even if I do desire it, I don't actually go out and take it like David did. It stops with a desire. But your time and your focus and your energy are not on loving your neighbor then. And that's really the big sin, the big problem with covetousness is it focuses our attention upon our own desires, our own lack of contentment. And we forget. We forget that there's people with real needs around us. We forget that there's a gospel that needs to go out. We forget that there's a Lord that we should glorify and exalt and all we're thinking about is, why don't I have this thing? And how do I get it? And it's evil. And it snowballs. And suddenly we're breaking several commandments. Suddenly we're covering up things. And unless God completely snaps us back and says, what are you doing? That sin can go for years and years and years. And we don't even know where we are one day. And I know this firsthand. I spent many years of my life, unfortunately, in the sin of covetousness, which is idolatry. I chased things. I chased people. I chased feelings. I chased comforts. And they never satisfied. And if I wanted it strong and long enough, I, I went after it even at the expense of other people. Even the expense of, of, of doing what God had called me to do. Even at the expense of the needs around me. Because I had to have that thing. And it wasn't part of God's plan. And he says in, in Luke that uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. And I wonder if it is to us. Is it great gain to be content with what God has given us? 
Can we actually be content with what we have today? I mean, if you think about it, God has given you everything you need already, and it's it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're thinking about the earth, then there's many things that you don't have and that you need, and but we're not supposed to think about the earth. We're here for a short time, and then we go to eternity. And the Lord says, well, if you if you want to think about that home instead of your earthly tent, you should think about what you need on that side. And if you think about what you need on that side, you're always going to go to Jesus. And when you go to Jesus, the sin of covetousness goes away. Because Jesus gives you everything you need. You're not in want. You're not in lack. You're not missing out on anything. When you find Jesus, you find everything. And that's that's the cure to covetousness. Stay near Jesus. Think on him. Think about his worth. Think about his value. Think about what he did for you so that you could have life. Think about what it means to follow him and the reward of doing so. Think about the fact that he created the world. The fact that he sustains the world with, by the word of his power. The fact that he's king of kings and lord of lords. The fact that those who find him find the treasures of all things for all time. And think on Jesus. He's the solution. If we're struggling with covetousness even this Christmas season and we're, we're, we've been chasing possessions and, and stuff and we've forgotten about the Lord, there's one simple antidote. Go back to him. Confess your sin of covetousness. Own up to it. Say, God, I haven't been chasing you lately. And he'll allow you to return. That's the great thing about the grace and the mercy of God is it allows you to come back. King David did. He came back. He didn't live a life of covetousness after that. He came back and he started living for the reason God created him to. And he was happier. That was the thing about it. David was actually happier from that point on. He didn't have some of those sinful earthly desires and he was happier for it. And the lie that the devil tells us is that the, the earthly desires are the one with all the joy and the satisfaction. And he knows it's a lie. He knows that's not true. He knows that as soon as we get that, we're going to have to get something else. Because that thing that we had only satisfies for a moment. It's not enough. We have to get better, bigger, better, richer, more wealthy, more success. And we just, we just chase it to death. And we have to get off the path of covetousness. And we have to get on the path of Christ if we're not on it now. And the thing about it is it says in scripture that we can't serve both God and money. And you could put in their possessions and anything else that you chase you either serve Christ or you serve stuff. No one is successfully balanced following Christ and chasing after their earthly desires. It just doesn't happen. It's not a working equation. So we need to count the cost. We need to count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. We all need to also need to count the cost of what it means to chase after possessions and wealth and riches. Because although it'll offer us something now, it'll steal from us for a long, long time. And God doesn't want that for us. And another cool example is Paul, when he was in prison, talks about contentment. He had learned the secret of being content in whatever state he was in. And he was writing that from prison. And he meant it. He knew what it was like to be content with a lot because God had blessed him with things. And he knew what it was like to be content with nothing in prison. 
And that's the secret too. The secret to fighting off covetousness is being thankful and content with what God has given you. Namely, the person of Jesus Christ, but then everything else that flows from that. And if God has desired that you live a poor, poverty-stricken life upon this earth, which even in America, comparatively speaking, we're all rich, but even if we're poor amongst our own people, amongst our own circles, if we have Christ, we have everything. And there's nothing else that we need. And God wants us to know that this Christmas season and every season is that true contentment, true delight, true joy, true treasure is found in Christ. And the sin of covetousness not only is bad for us, it's incredibly deadly. It's incredibly dangerous. It can not only destroy our own soul, but it can destroy many lives around us by the hurt that we will cause people by chasing after sinful desires. I pray that you would listen to that today. I pray that you'd think about all the Ten Commandments as we talked about them. And um, may God bless us as we consider them, consider what it means to obey, consider what it means to follow Christ, consider the worth and the value of it, consider that when we're in eternity, we will always look back and be thankful for the times that we spent in obedience and the times that we spent listening to Christ and following him. Once again, I thank you for your time. I thank you for listening and may God bless us as we seek to obey these commandments by his strength for his glory.